Well, good morning and happy September 6th. It's good to be with you on Roadmap to Heaven, except I'm not actually with you. Well, not live in studio. I'm on vacation this week, which means we have some special shows put together for you to fill out the rest of this week. But before we get to any of that, let's do what we always do. Let's begin our morning in prayer together. And we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. So what are we going to do with Adam on vacation this week? Well, we've got some best of shows put together for you. Some of the best segments we've ever aired here on Roadmap to Heaven, ones that would just be good to hear again from time to time. So today on the show, we're going to be talking with Dr. Ray Garendi about prioritizing your spouse. We're going to take a look back at one of the first segments we ever did with Patty Schneier called What's the Point? And we're going to finish out the morning talking with Monsignor Timothy Cronin about Eucharistic Adoration. These were three great interviews we did over the course of the last two and a half years, and I hope you enjoy them again. Before we can get to that, we are going to take a quick break here. Don't change that dial. On the Franciscan calendar, today is the feast day of Blessed Claudio Granzato. Born in Italy in 1900, his baptismal name was Ricardo, and he was the youngest of nine children in a poor family that worked the fields. At the age of nine, he lost his father, and the family had to work even harder in those fields to survive. In 1915, during World War I, he was drafted into the army where he spent the next three years. When the war was over, Ricardo went back to school and discovered he had a gift for art. At the urging of his older brother Giovanni and his parish priest, Father Rittorio, he went on to study in Venice and in 1929 graduated with honors after developing a special gift for religious art. Feeling called to religious life, he entered the Order of Friars Minor where he took the name Claudio. Upon entering, his parish priest wrote to his superiors telling them, you are receiving not just an artist, but a saint. Claudio made his final vows in 1936, but never felt called to become ordained. He spent his life in prayer and contemplation, producing numerous works of art, especially in the form of sculpture, where he focused on Jesus and the lives of the saints. Claudio's inspiration came from his time in adoration. Often he spent entire nights in front of the Blessed Sacrament. In 1945, he developed a brain tumor and died two years later on the Feast of the Assumption. Blessed Claudio Gonzalo, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. As we continue our Vacation Week shows, uh, bringing you some of the best segments of Roadmap to Heaven, we want to jump back to February of this year when we spoke with Dr. Ray Garendi about how to keep our priorities in order, especially when it comes to our spouses. 
Dr. Ray Garendi is the host of The Doctor Is In, which you can hear every day right here on Covenant Network at 12 o'clock noon. But we're happy to be speaking with him as part of Roadmap to Heaven this morning. Doctor, good to talk to you. Hey, Adam. Roadmap to Heaven, huh? That's kind of presumptuous. Well, you know, I, I we're, we're all on the road. We're all on the road. Uh, the map is still being drawn for me, and I just hope I can follow it. <laughs> well, it's good to be with you. You know, it's it's always good to listen to your show. I tell people frequently that you answer questions I didn't even know I had. But today I do have a very specific question for you uh, from our listeners. It's something that parents talk about quite a bit. It's one that I know my wife and I have wrestled with over the 13 years we've been married so far. One that we've come to terms with as being an okay thing. If we focus on one another... Somehow we're sliding our children or we're leaving them out and that we need to make them the number one priority in our marriage. Uh, And someone said, no, Adam, you and Beth need to make each other the number one priority. And in doing so, you will love your children better. And I, I said, "Okay, it's taken me a while to get here, Ray. But I thought, let's go to an expert and let's find out what's really going on. So is it okay for us to prioritize our spouses over our children in our marriages? Way back in 1990, Adam, I published a book called Back to the Family. In 1990, so was I, was I in kindergarten? I was, I was really a prodigy. So when the book came out, we interviewed strong families all 50 states. We asked them, how are you raising these kinds of kids? You know one of the number one things they said, Adam? What's that? We put each other first. So they had the best kids that a national state teacher had seen. She nominated them for this book. And the parents said, our marriage comes first. I think the reason people say that you should put the kids first is they're afraid that if you put your wife first, that means you're going to automatically neglect your kids. Nothing can be further from the truth. Kids feel incredibly secure and confident when they see their mom and dad as one, a duo here that's stuck together at the neck. How many little kids, when you see mom and dad hugging, the little kids come running and try to squeeze in between? That's one of the things that the kids said in the back to the family book. They said, we absolutely love seeing our mom and dad hug and kiss, even though when the 14-year-olds went, oh, oh, that's gross. Oh, don't do that here. You don't have to do that. Go outside. But they knew mom and pop were the focus of the family, and that made them feel more secure. You know, I have to tell you, I've got one boy and four girls, and anytime Beth and I give each other a kiss, if one of the girls is there, they immediately shout, oh, smoochie, smoochie, and they run and they get the other sisters and say, mom and dad smoochie, smoochie, they smoochie, smoochie. Now my son's rolling his eyes like, what's wrong with these girls? But you're right, they love it. It can be counterintuitive, though, Ray. It it seems like, well, wait a minute, am I neglecting them? You know, I remember the first time that we decided we've been home with these kids for a while. We were in the thick of have a kid, two years later have another kid. It was diaper season in the right house. We didn't think we were ever going to get out of it, and we said, let's take three days, and we're going to go away for three days. And we had some very gracious friends that watched our children while we were gone, and we took a trip just the two of us. And it took us a while to get over that idea that we're gone, having fun, falling more in love with one another, and leaving them behind. How is it that this works out? You know, you mentioned that the kids, they benefit from seeing mom and dad. 
love one another, but in this case, we left them behind. And that's still okay, right? When you treat each other better after you came back from your three-day sojourn, and by the way, the person who watched your kids, did you give them 40 bucks an hour plus benefits? No, I, I forget what we did, but they were very well compensated. So given all that, when mom and dad came back and there was a warmth with mom and dad, there wasn't the kind of bickering friction that kids sometimes see that makes them feel insecure. Do you realize what that does for a kid? Let me draw a parallel here, Adam. One of the complaints that the Catholic Church gets and Catholic faithful, well, you pay too much attention to Mary, and that takes away from Jesus, right? You've heard that one, right? No, we've all heard that one, I think, yeah. Of course. And we know that's ridiculous. Because the bottom line is that Jesus' family. So when we pay attention and honor his family, we're honoring him. So when you honor your wife and you show her the kind of warmth and affection that she's number one, she has to be number one, then it automatically redounds to the kids. Well, you know, in a, in a funny sort of way, Adam, we are a twisted, child-centered society. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that our kids do not come first, our marriage does. And then automatically the kids will get a benefit beyond anything we could give them if we put them first. Ray, I got to tell you, this sounds a lot like something a priest was telling me the other day, that if it's about right order in our relationships, that even in our marriage, if we keep God first, then our marriage is going to be benefit. And then if my wife and I keep each other next in that order of priority, our children will benefit. And then we go to our children. So one of the questions that I, I think, you know, we've asked our circle of friends and we get different answers on this. What do you recommend to couples? You know, someone said to us, Adam, do you and your wife still go on dates? And I said, you know, there was a spell where we didn't, but then we made that a priority to have date night. And, of course, Valentine's Day, like, everybody's trying to get dinner reservations and do something special tonight. But how often do you think husbands and wives should be going out and saying, leave the kids at home for, even if it's just for an hour, to go to the fast food restaurant that you love and get some drive through and eat it in the car? How often should couples be going on dates? My wife and I go out on Tuesdays and Fridays. She goes out on Tuesdays. I go out on Fridays. No. Okay. Actually, <laughs> they did a study. Adam, they said, do these kinds of dates help a marriage? They do under one condition, that the marriage itself is kind. If, in fact, the spouses do not treat each other with a kind of consideration and manners and courtesy and tolerance and stuff that you reserve for everybody else, you notice that, too? Sometimes we treat our spouses worse than we treat anybody else at work or anywhere else. If... That is not part of the marriage. The date nights don't work. They do not do anything. But if the marriage is solid, if my wife can say, this is the goal here, Adam, if my wife can say, Ray treats me better than he treats anybody else. Now, many marriages can't say that. A wife will hear, your husband is the greatest guy at work. He just is complimentary, and he's just the nicest. He never scolds anybody, and the woman's thinking, who are you talking about? And you don't want that. You want your spouse to be able to say, I can say that my spouse treats me better than he or she treats anybody else. If you can do that, those date nights work great. Take a whole bunch of them.
Okay. Well, there you have it, friends. A, a little bit of a good reminder for us. One, treat your spouse better than you treat anyone else. And I hope that's elevating how you treat your spouse and not downgrading how you treat everyone else. I'm no expert like the doctor here. Sorry, I gotta, Dr. Ray, i got to treat you like dirt now because I want to make sure I'm treating my wife the best. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, addition by subtraction. <laughs> exactly, exactly. If you want to hear more from uh, Dr. Ray Garendi, tune in every Monday through Friday right here on Covenant Network. You can hear the doctor is in. Ray, I want to thank you for being with us today. Friends, we've got more Roadmap to Heaven right after this. Vocation Prayer for Youth Oh, Holy Spirit, Spirit of wisdom and divine love, impart your knowledge, understanding, and counsel to youth that they may know the vocation wherein they can best serve God. Give them courage and strength to follow God's holy will. Guide their uncertain steps. Strengthen their resolutions. Shield their chastity. Fashion their minds. Conquer their hearts. And lead them to the vineyards where they will labor in God's holy service. Amen. If you're just joining us this week on Roadmap to Heaven, I'm actually not in the studio. I'm on vacation, and so we're bringing you some of the best segments we've ever aired. And this is one of my favorites. It originally aired in September of 2020, and it's one of the first segments we ever recorded with Patty Schneier called What's the Point? And answering this question really sets the stage for everything we're doing, not just with this show, but in life in general. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We are talking everyday practical tips with our good friend, Patty Schneier. Patty, so good to have you with us today. Good morning, Adam. Great to be here with you and your listeners again. It's always a joy to have you. Patty, I want to get right down to it. What's the point? That's, <laughs> that's the question today. What's the point? Well, you know, that is a question that my youngest son asked a lot. Why, why, why? What's the point? Um, and as a mother, I remember... My oldest two, I could tell them, you know, pick up your shoes or get in the car. It's time to go. And they would just do it. And I was very authoritarian, and they seemed to just calibrate well to that, but not my youngest one. My youngest one was always, it just he just never got it. What's the point? Why? Why do I have to pick up those rollerblades? Why do I have to do whatever it is that mom wants me to do? And I realized with him and with some children, if we're talking about evangelization in our faith, we need to just be able to add a little bit to the things that we say to them in our explanations or in our teaching moments and explain to them why it matters. And just that little bit can make all the difference in the world for that one child. For example, let me just give you an example of this. So I remember thinking that it's very, very important for our children to know the goal, the goal of everything, right? The everything that we do. And so I did a little test actually with myself to make sure that I was communicating the goal of our faith to them. And I went to my oldest son and I said, John, what is the goal of my life for you? What is it that I want for you? Why is it that I do everything that I do? And he looked at me, you know, he was in his teenage years and he says, keep the faith. And I said, excellent. Good job. I go to my daughter, Julie, what is the goal of everything that we do in our life? You know, why is it that, what is it that I want for you more than anything else? She says, keep the faith. And I said, absolutely. I went to that youngest child's Kevin. I said the same question, Kevin, what's my goal for you as a mom? And I'll never forget this. He rolled his eyes and he said to me, 
so that when I'm old and when I'm a teenager and when I go off to college that I will get up and go to Mass on Sunday. And if I don't, I owe you and Dad (laughs) $76,000 for having sent me to Catholic school. And I looked at him and I said, true, true enough, right? I'm like, yeah, exactly. However, I said to him, Kevin, why, why do I want you to get up and go to Mass on Sunday when you are away at college someday? Why do I want you to do this when you're a grown-up and I'm no longer, you know, looking over your shoulder? And he, he was silent for a minute, and then he looked at me and he said these words. I'll never forget it. He said, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life within you. But whoever eats my body and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And I remember hugging my son Kevin saying, yes, Kevin, that is why I want you to get up and go to Mass on Sunday. That's the point. That's why it matters. So I tell parents this a lot in my speaking and traveling across the United States. Um, yes, sometimes I, I did sit my kids down one time and said, let's do the math of, of what all we've done, you know, of nine years of Catholic school, four years of Catholic high school, of what does this cost? And, you know, you're free to walk away when you're a grown up. I'm not going to be there. But in all fairness and justice, you would owe me $76,000. And by now it would have been, you know, 96 or 100000 And I said, I did that because your father and I did that because you're worth it. It's an investment in you, in your soul. It's an eternal investment. And yes, we want to return on that investment, to be honest with you. But what's the real point? What's our goal for you? It's heaven. It is nothing short of heaven. So as parents, we have to be bold. We have to articulate it. We have to let them know why it matters. You know, I I always say, yes, you can experience God in nature. Yes, you can experience God out in the woods taking a walk or on a beach or the sunset or the mountains. God is there in creation, and you can experience him there, and in family, and love, and in beautiful events in your life. But there is nothing, nothing, and nowhere where you can receive the Eucharist other than at Mass on Sunday, where God actually shows up, body, blood, soul, and divinity. You receive him. He's one with you, and you become what you eat. So that's why it matters. That's why it matters that you're in a Catholic church. That's why it matters of everything that we do is because of that promise that I will raise you up on the last day and heaven is the goal. So that's what I try to tell parents to be bold and share that with your kids. Well, that is, so that's the point. Now, I think my, my six-year-old daughter, I love her. She's, she's my questionnaire. We, we uh, once went to a children's museum. There was a sign. Did you know the average toddler asks 4,000 questions a day? It's yeah. a lived experience. I, I know that to be true. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I think of her, you know, she understands sometimes the why. She say, I know we're doing this because whatever the, you know, here's the point, and that's why we're doing it. The next question becomes how, because she's also the one that one morning, you know, I, I said we have to get up and we have to go to Mass this morning. I don't want to go to Mass. Why do I have to go to Mass? And I told her, and she goes, but why do I have to listen to Jesus? So how do we move from the, the, the why to the how, you know, to, to teach them this point? Well, my first thing, when, again, every parent has had that why do I have to go to Mass question, right? And I remember my dad, I asked it as well. I remember what my dad said to me. He goes, no, you get to go to Mass and explain that there have been people who have, throughout history and church history, been denied Mass of what, you know, 
They would walk for miles to get to go to the nearest church where there would be a priest where the sacraments are not as available. You get to go to Mass. God gives you everything. And because the greatest command that we had is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we get to do this to show him how much we love him. So it's not a matter of, yes, we have to because it's what God is owed, right? Injustice. He is, because he's created us out of love. What is the response to love? The only appropriate response to love is to give love in return, to give him our best. You know, I, and I also remember this one time someone said this to me and it stuck with me. If someone gave you a million dollars, handed you a million dollars and just said, oh, by the way, could I just have one of those dollars back in return? Of course you would, right? That person's just given you a million dollars. You would say, of course you could have one back. Well, God, every single day gives you 24 hours. Every single day gives you 24 hours of life. And if he on Sunday says, can I have one of those hours back? Just one? Wouldn't you want to say, of course you can. Of course you can. So these are the examples that I give to young children when they ask that question of, what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be a stingy person that says, no, I can't even give you one back. No, 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 no. It's mine. Or do you want to be, of course I would give you one. Of course I would. And that changes the dynamic. It changes. We have to teach our kids, to be honest with you, to get out of themselves, to, um, to not be selfish. We all are selfish. Our tendency is to be selfish. But if we can give them those examples of do you want to be this kind of a person or do you want to be a person that is giving, that is that is grateful for what you have received and that you want to give something back, just something? Well, it's your heart. It's your heart that God wants more than anything else and your time. Because So here's one other example. I will say this. This is a, 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 a quote that stuck with me, that the true measure of any relationship whatsoever, it's time. It's your time. So, for example, if I'm going to meet someone or get to know someone, if I'm, I, I want to get to know them better, I spend time with them. Same thing with God. All he wants, all he wants is for us to want to spend time with him. It's the greatest measure of our love is when you desire to spend time with someone. So that's what I would say to a child at any age, at any age, when they ask those questions. All right. Well, Patty, thanks for being with us. Thanks for sharing the point with us today. My pleasure. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and we will be back right after this. A prayer to St. Joseph. O blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of thy chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother of God, I choose thee this day to be my special patron and advocate, and I firmly resolve to honor thee all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly beseech thee to receive me as thy client to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, to obtain for me and for all the knowledge and love of the heart of Jesus, and finally, to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen.
This next segment, we are bringing you on our encore show of Roadmap to Heaven, our vacation show, whatever you'd like to call it, goes back to September of 2020 as well. It's an interview we did with Monsignor Timothy Cronin, the chaplain of the Archbishop's Committee on Eucharistic Adoration, with some tips on how to pray in the Adoration Chapel or before the Blessed Sacrament. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. As you know, over the past several weeks, I have been immersing myself in the Holy Rosary and reading St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary and then beginning the Marian uh, Consecration Preparation period. It has been wonderfully fruitful and and a a great time of prayer. I was remarking to someone just the other day, um, one of the fruits I've noticed is I'm much more serene right now because everything in life is getting a, a much different perspective of what's important and what is not important and what we can detach from and let go of as we focus on growing in holiness. And I know that one of the questions I have wrestled with over the years in thinking about the Most Holy Rosary is the appropriateness of praying the Holy Rosary in the Eucharistic Adoration Chapel, in in the presence of our Lord. Am I taking away from our Lord by doing so? And I've gone back and forth on this several times, but in prepping for this consecration, we read from St. Louis de Montfort that the ultimate aim of every devotion is to grow closer to our Lord. So I thought, well, if we're going to discuss this question of Eucharistic adoration and the rosary, who better to ask to join us than Monsignor Timothy Cronin, who is the chaplain of the Archbishop's Committee on Eucharistic Adoration and pastor at St. Mary Magdalene Parish in Brentwood. Monsignor, so good to have you with us today. Thank you, Adam. Good to be with you, too. Well, let's start with the yes or no question. Is it okay to pray the rosary in the Adoration Chapel? Well, let's listen to the words of St. John Paul II to know what the rosary is, reminding us it is simple yet profound, destined to bring a harvest of holiness when we contemplate with Mary, when we learn Christ from Mary, when we're being conformed to Christ with Mary, when we pray to Christ with Mary, when we proclaim Christ with Mary. And so, absolutely to be able to know that our Lord is very much desiring of us to be able to spend time uh, in praying this beautiful prayer of contemplation, which what the rosary ultimately is. We have received through St. Dominic, and really handed down through many saints throughout the years, but formerly from St. Dominic, the rosary as we know it today, and then towards the end of his pontificate, St. John Paul II added five mysteries to that. As Father Don Calloway likes to say, he took the sword of the rosary and sharpened it so that it was even better suited to our times, adding the luminous mysteries. All 20 mysteries in total help us focus on our Lord by contemplating some part of his life, beginning with the Annunciation and all the way up through Mary's coronation in heaven. It is really key because when one prays the rosary, that the beginning of announcing the mystery before each decade is an opportunity for the one who is praying to really enter into the the life, death, resurrection, ascension, the whole Paschal mystery of Jesus. And so the the Hail Marys, um, as again John Paul wrote, is an echo of Mary's prayer of magnifying the Lord. So we're not really focusing so much on the words of the Hail Mary, um, as important as they are, but truly the link 
of that prayer, the words of the angel to Mary, and then the conclusion, Holy Mary, is the heart of it is Jesus. And the blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, is the center of the Hail Mary. And so the different aspects of our Lord's life uh, that we contemplate, his death, his passion, and the glorious mysteries, his resurrection, all of that really does help us to focus in on the Lord. I think back to the time when my wife and I were courting, at the very beginning of our relationship, that the, the fondest of fond memories was one night sitting on her front porch at her parents' house, and it, it was a cool summer evening, uh, and we were just sharing stories about our lives back and forth. And it was in those moments, not just hearing the story, but the way she told the story and being in her presence, certainly something I could have read if she had written a letter to say, I did this on this day, or, or kept a log or a diary. Uh, but there's something about being with someone to learn about them and contemplating, oh, this time in their life. And she, in fact, often says that was the first night she had an inkling that, oh, boy, this could be, this could be a serious relationship. Now it, it's very different as a parent, but in the same way with our children, just spending that time with them, learning about who they are by being in their presence and without even having to ask, what did you do at school today? What did your friends do at school today? We pick up on it just by hearing the conversations they have with one another, as I say, observing the play. It's a very similar dynamic when we go to the Adoration Chapel, that we're contemplating our Lord then while sitting in his presence, asking him to let us know him more and more. Absolutely. That we are able to have our minds and hearts enlightened by the Lord. And as you know, too, very often when we're by ourselves and maybe praying of the rosary, we can pause. You know, we can stop. We can truly enter into the silence, as we know is so important in adoration, to be able to have the Lord speak to us. Even just reflecting, for example, the first joyful mystery, the Annunciation. And very often there are fruits associated with that mystery. And from the Annunciation, the virtue of humility. We're just looking at gazing upon our Lord and, and seeing how humble he was to come into our midst uh, in so profound way. And Lord, please help me too to be as humble as, as you are um, in coming in, incarnate into our presence. And so again, we have an opportunity when we're contemplating the, the mysteries to truly enter into uh, that silence and to know what the Lord wants us to reflect upon. Someone once gave me an acronym for the time in, in the Holy Hour or in the Adoration Chapel, Acts. Adoration, Contemplation, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And really, the Rosary offers us an opportunity for all of those things. And I wonder if you have any practical thoughts for that period of contemplation. You know, I like to bring a, a notepad with me or a journal or something like that, and if a thought keeps hitting me, maybe I write it down to come back to it later. But some thoughts on how we could make that rosary a fruitful time of prayer during our Eucharistic adoration. First thing I would really encourage everyone to recognize is that you and I live in a world that is filled with, with so much stimuli, so many distractions, so many things that might be preoccupying our minds. So even to prepare ourselves to help us enter into prayer is important. And so that might take a while. You know, simply as we genuflect and recognize we are in a different place. This is different. This place is different because God is here with us in a, in a most profound way to be able to then just to be in his presence, not to say anything, not to think about anything, but just to know, Lord, you are here and I adore you. I adore you. I am recognizing your presence with me. Um, and that can even just take a significant amount of time if you know there's a lot of things you're thinking about. But then to be able to enter into the mystery of, of then that as you offer yourself to the Lord in prayer, you're saying, Contrition, Lord, I am sorry for my sins. 
uh, thanksgiving, knowing all the gifts and blessings that God has bestowed, and then supplications, the various intentions that you also want to bring to the Lord, can truly uh, help you to pray in a way that is, again, fruitful and uh, pleasing to God, and God also in turn wants to give you then so many more graces. You know, Monsignor, one of my favorite things about the rosary is how tangible it is. I'm a fidgety person. Um, I'm, I'm that person that in meetings I usually have my notepad and I'm taking notes, one, because it gives me something to do and helps me process, but also if I weren't taking notes, I'd probably be fidgeting or, or doodling on my notepad or something like that. And I, I've always appreciated that about the rosary is that it helps me stay focused because it gives me something to hold and a direction to move in. Right. It is truly a tangible sacramental um, that which the Church allows us to enter into holiness. And John Paul, in, in, in his encyclical on the rosary, reflected on that as well, you know, saying that um, the beads converge upon the crucifix. Uh, the life and, pow- life and prayer of believers is centered upon Christ, and so we, we first begin and hold on to the crucifix. And then even the, the way that the rosary is put together, knowing that the beads invoke that um, path of of unending contemplation, that there's you know neither a beginning nor an end with God. Um, he was always so generous to us. There was always more. We can always, as um, we know from the scriptures, go out into the deep, go out into the deep, duke and altum, as Jesus asked the, the apostles to do, go more deeply into my life, go in more deeply into your life and surrendering yourself so that that visible um, holding on to the rosary as we're praying, um, and that circular, uh, that unending circle does give to us that, that comfort of knowing um, God's uh, never-ending presence with us. I think a final question I would like to ask, because I, again, from my experience, having been in this place, I remember when I first started with the rosary, I just felt so lost because if I didn't have my little trifold card that here's how you pray the rosary and here are the mysteries, I would, well, now what was that first mystery? I think it was this, or was, or is that the station of the cross or is that the sorrowful mystery? And I don't know. And I would get very flustered. And then I'd say, well, I just won't pray the rosary. Is it okay to bring those things with us? Is it okay to bring a tool to help us pray the rosary if we get flustered? Very much so. You know, the, the Lord knows that we can very easily be distracted, and so that we're spending time with him is important. And, and sometimes, um, you know, like a teacher who is preparing a lesson, sometimes you have way more than you need. Clearly, you want to have time to spend in quiet, but sometimes, too, you know, this, this today I'm just really distracted, and so I need something to help me, whether it's maybe a meditation. There are so many beautiful um, scriptural rosary uh, passages uh, to reflect upon, um, meditations on the various mysteries, but simply striving to be with the Lord and knowing that when you unite yourself to Jesus in the rosary, uh, is most pleasing to God as you're especially praying uh, to the Lord through Mary. And in those times, I remember that perhaps I would make it through my rosary, I would have my card, and I, I would get through my rosary, and I would spend my hour in the Adoration Chapel, and I would perhaps walk out periodically just saying, you know, I, I prayed everything I went in intending to pray. I spent the entire hour there intending to spend the entire hour there, and I just don't feel like I had any fruitful prayer, that it was just mechanical. In those times, is that a waste of an hour and a waste of those prayers? Well, I think that a lot of us be wasting time because I think, Adam, you know, we're, you're not alone. Very often um, we can have a high expectation maybe of what we want our prayer to look like and Sometimes our Lord does give us the opportunity to go with him to the mountain of transfiguration and experience uh, such profound holiness. But most of us pretty much are going down the mountain 
and we need just to be able to say, Lord, help me, be with me, help me to persevere, and our Lord gives us that grace too. A wonderful encouragement for all of us. Monsignor, could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Monsignor Timothy Cronin, so thank you so much for being with us today. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and we will be back after this. A prayer for the dead. God, our Father, your power brings us to birth, your providence guides our lives, and by your command we return to dust. Lord, those who die still live in your presence. Their lives change, but do not end. I pray and hope for my family, relatives, and friends, and for all the dead known to you alone. In company with Christ, who died and now lives, may they rejoice in your kingdom, where all our tears are wiped away. Unite us together again in one family to sing your praise forever and ever. Amen. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. This week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, Patty Schneier is encouraging us to welcome the stranger. So on this Tuesday, Patty, I look forward to our message. This is something that is not an extra in the Catholic faith. This is something that is given to us all throughout Scripture, in the Gospels, of course, but also in Hebrews and Leviticus, in Romans. There's always this admonishment for us that we need to welcome the stranger. And so we're talking about that this week. Yesterday, I just talked about, you know, how many people do you come across in your daily life that you could just start greeting and saying hello or introduce yourself to them if you see them on a regular basis and you don't know their name. But what do you do when a quote unquote stranger, meaning someone you don't know, comes into perhaps Adoration Chapel and maybe you notice that they don't genuflect. Maybe you can kind of get some clues that they might not be Catholic. Someone that's just come in and a lot of times, in my own case, I've seen people wander into our chapel and and they're crying. They're in distress. And what do you do with that? They're a stranger, but they're right there and you see that person is crying or is in very, very much in need of some help and you just don't know what to do. Again, most of us, we want to retreat. We don't want to say a word. Yet this is an opportunity for us to be Jesus in their midst and offer a kind word. We sometimes need to get out of our comfort zone. And as Catholics, I want to say sometimes we don't do this very well. We often say, well, I'll pray for you. And when we say that, often that means later on when I'm at home by myself, I'll pray for you. No, what about saying, would you like me to pray with you right now? Can we pray together now? When you're willing to drop whatever it is you're doing, drop your own prayer time, if you're out in the world doing something, can can I pray with you, with a stranger? Have you ever done that before? I can tell you I've done this many, many times, and I just will say to the person, hi, my name is Patty. Can I pray for you right now? Would you like me to pray with you? Especially if it's an adoration and that person is crying or is upset about something. I've done this in an airport when it's a total stranger and someone is really, really upset. And I'll say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? And so maybe it takes a little bit of stepping out of your comfort zone, but I just wanna say we have an opportunity very, very often to pray with people in an airport or in some public setting. And it's an opportunity for us to be Jesus 
for them, with them, right there in their suffering. And I think it's a beautiful way to welcome the stranger in our midst. So maybe it might take a little stepping out of your comfort zone, but I want to encourage people to do that. When that opportunity is presented before you, don't miss the opportunity to pray with someone, to pray for someone right then and there. I once heard a homilist say that we were made for more than comfort, that it's good for us to be uncomfortable. And everything you're challenging us to today, Patty, I'm thinking in my mind, oh, I will be very uncomfortable when that happens, but I'm glad you're challenging us to do it. Well, that's our Look Back show on this Tuesday morning. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Heaven, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Tomorrow we've got another look back show for you as I continue my vacation, bringing you some of our favorite segments ever on Roadmap to Heaven. We'll have a Patty Schneier segment for you on beauty and a wonderful conversation we had with Monsignor Eugene Morris on the topic of humility. So tune in tomorrow morning. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. You've been listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Don't forget to pray your rosary today.